Hamilton County at the Movies is back. We've been away because, to be quite frank about it, the film industry has closed all the theaters. There's still film to watch. There's still uh, activity going on. And one wonders what the future of film will be. And that's still a matter uh, open even to those who are experts. So, Adam, it's always great to talk to you, particularly now. We haven't had this uh, chat for a long time. Good to hear from you, Larry. So, what, uh, by the way, we're doing something a little different here. Uh, we are not in the same room. In fact, I'm my Fisher's home. He's in his Carmel home. Doing this by Skype and, and doing a podcast via Skype for the very first time is not for the faint of heart. So we'll, we'll cross our fingers and hope all the connections uh, continue to work. So, Adam, I want to start this off by just asking you a question. As a small business owner of Donatello's Restaurant in downtown Carmel, you can no longer have uh, the, the traditional restaurant set up because of the coronavirus restrictions. You're doing carry-out and some delivery, uh, partnering with other people. Just tell me what this has been like for you uh, trying to get through all this. So there was a lot of uncertainty at first because we didn't know how many people would do carry-out. And uh, so we had already seen kind of a, a slowdown in sales prior to the carry-out-only rule by the governor, partly because people were afraid to go out at first. So we kind of anticipated some of this. So we had signed up for DoorDash and Grubhub about a week before this happened. So it was good timing. If we would have tried to sign up now, they're getting overloaded and it would have been impossible to get on. Um, so we did that. Um, the first week or two, we were overwhelmed with community support. Uh, a lot of people just wanting to make sure their local restaurants are still around. So they were not only ordering a lot of food, but tipping very generously. Now that has, um, now that we're going into week four or, or almost five now of the carryout order, um, we have seen that slow down. We are still seeing community support, but and it's no fault from the community, but people are starting to see their own uh, paychecks uh, be affected. And uh, maybe some people are out of work themselves, or maybe they're just ate out quite a bit and can only afford to do so much. So that has slowed down. Uh, but we've adjusted as a business. We used to only sell a, a few pizzas. Now it's more than 50% of our sales. We've gone to carry out deals. Uh, and as a result, we are keeping some of our staff employed. Some of them have lost their day jobs. And so we were a secondary source of income for them. Now we're their sole source of income, regardless. Maybe they do have unemployment they can file for for their day jobs, but um, we are uh, helping keep people employed. I'm very proud of that. And uh, all our sales are down because we're getting almost no alcohol sales. The governor did allow uh, carry out alcohol, but it just hasn't been very strong. Most people have a bottle of wine in their house or just aren't doing that. But um, we're surviving we're more fortunate than some restaurants. Some have decided carryout was not worth it and closed. And the sad reality is some are closing permanently because going a month without income uh, just didn't make sense for them. And uh, they had such uh, small margins that they will not reopen when this is over. So that is uh, very sad. Uh, and when this is all over, we may see an economy that uh, needs uh, uh, some stimulus uh, we may find people have less money, and as a result, maybe they go out to eat less. So I don't think 
when the doors reopen that we're going to go straight back to normal. I think there's going to be an adjustment for a long time. But how important is it? And I think this is this is uh, key here because you need to stay open in some form so people know who you are and when the you are able to open up uh, the the restaurant uh, room and, and have people sit down and do the traditional restaurant thing. Uh, people need to remember you're around. So if you close with the idea of reopening, I think that would be even tougher. But that's just my view. What do you think? I agree. Not only do we have bills. I mean, our our rent is not forgiven. We still have to pay it. Some places are saying, hey, you can pay us whenever. And I think our landlord's that way. But that doesn't mean the rent is forgiven. It just means next month you owe two months rent. So us being open, we're still able to pay our rent at this time, which is we're fortunate in that regard. Uh, there are some government programs to help you, but you're right. Um, the customers, if to go a month or more without supporting your place, they may forget about you. Uh, and I, I see it not only am I feeding my family by being able to pay my bills, but I'm helping my employees feed their families. And I think getting carry out is something people look forward to. You aren't allowed to go many places. If you're stuck at home, this may be one of the few things that you get to do to enjoy during a day is to get carry out dinner from a restaurant and we're going to, this is a nice segue, maybe rent a movie and watch it while you're eating. Well, I want to talk about that because you've added a couple of things uh, to, to what you are doing uh, film review wise. You and Alec Toombs have a, a new website where you post your film reviews and you also started uh, to uh, write some reviews for the film yap. So uh, you're staying busy in lots of different ways, Adam. Yeah, so we called our website Grade A Movies because me and Alec both have A's in our name. So, uh, and uh, he watches a lot of stuff. So he was providing a lot of reviews, especially of the theatrical releases. I have a 16-month-old daughter, so going to the theater is tough for me. But now that it, we're just doing streaming releases, I'm probably uh, writing almost as many reviews as him, which is very rare because uh, he watches a lot of movies. We also have some commentary, and we have a Facebook page where we've been posting some videos and shared some links. And, you know, it's the same thing, I'm sure, with the podcast. We do it just because we enjoy doing it. We like to see good numbers, and we like to see it build. But I enjoy creating uh, an article. I enjoy writing an article. If five people enjoy reading it, that's good enough for me. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. We're not making any money. I don't know if anybody or very few people making money off film uh film criticism these days. Let me just start with you, if I can. Uh, you are stre- I haven't watched a lot of streaming films. I've been doing some other things and really haven't explored that very much. But you have been posting quite a bit about some streaming films you have watched. So tell me, what's out there? What's worth streaming as far as Adam Austin's concerned? So as far as things that just came out recently, um, if you go to Disney+, Plus, they have a few things that uh, wouldn't have been on their service this quickly. Frozen 2 and Onward are two movies that were slated for much later releases on streaming, and they're both available now. Uh, having a daughter, I, I've watched both of those, uh, but I enjoy them too. They're high-quality films. Onward uh, actually deals with uh, the death of a father and uh, a child growing up not knowing his dad. So there's some deep material in that Pixar movie. Uh, it's set in a fantastic world, and uh, I thought it was excellent. I'll probably watch that one again on the service. 
If you want to rent something, I rented a movie that may not be for everybody. I actually think you would like this one, Larry. It's called The Current War. And it tells the story of Edison, Westinghouse, and Tesla and their battle to become the first one to bring electricity nationwide. It's a film that uh, almost was made almost three years ago. But it had a terrible launch at the Toronto International Film Festival. It got basically negative reviews. The director said it was not ready, that it was rushed to put out for that festival. So he wanted to go back and do reshoots and re-edit. He was planning to, to make some changes to the movie. And then suddenly his film's producer, Harvey Weinstein, got <laughs> caught in some trouble. Yeah, we know about that, his, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his company was sold and his the film was part of Weinstein's company was shelved and because it was not ready to be released it looked like it would never be released now a producer on the film was Martin Scorsese who discovered there was a final edit uh, clause in the contract and as a result the director uh, who had previously directed me Earl and the dying girl um, decided to raise money online in order to finish the movie and he raised about a million dollars did some reshoots took about 20 minutes off the runtime and released it. And it didn't do that great in theaters, and a lot of critics uh, uh, didn't love the film, but I think it's actually a really interesting movie. And uh, if this even comes close to the vision that he had, I, I imagine his true vision, which we probably will never see, would have been really good. So that's one I recommend if you like true stories. I, I do. Um, uh, I am familiar with that general story. I think there is definitely a good film in there, so I will make an effort to, to see that. That is uh, available on all the streaming services? That is one you got to pay to rent. Now, okay. if you want something that you don't have to pay to rent, uh, there is a, a new release on Netflix that is a Netflix original. This one was premiered at was going to premiere at the Sundance Film Festival during this whole crisis. As you know, the Sundance Film Festival, I mean not Sundance, I'm um, South by Southwest. I'm That's sorry. Right. Okay. South by Southwest Film Festival was canceled. The music, the film portion, all canceled. So this movie was going to premiere there and then pres presumably make a theatrical debut. Well, they just decided let's move it directly to streaming. Netflix got the rights. And that they're doing that with quite a few movies now. Movies that we were going to see in theaters are now going directly to streaming sites. And this one's called Uncorked. It's a story of a young African-American man in his mid-late 20s. His father owns a barbecue restaurant in Memphis and wants him to take over the family business. But he's not interested in running a barbecue shop. Instead, he wants to become a master sommelier, which if you know anything about the world of wine – there's only about 200 and something master sommeliers ever in the world. Um, so it's a very rigorous process to be passed the test to become a master sommelier. You have to be able to, to drink a wine blindly, say where it's from, the name of what the name of the wine, like which company makes this wine just by drinking a glass of wine uh, blindly, which I could never do. So it's an interesting movie because if you like barbecue, if you uh, – kind of the African-American restaurant story, that's in there. You ever been, to, Mem also you, you ever been to Memphis, uh, Adam? Yeah, I've had Memphis barbecue. It's so really good. It is good. My <laughs> brother lives there, and I've, I've tasted quite a bit of it. So that sounds like uh, a very good film. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But then there's also this whole wine expert thing too. So if you're someone who just loves wine, there's kind of the discussion there. And then there's the family dynamic between father and son. And 
really it's a movie about chasing your dreams, which I always like. It kind of reminds me of Rocky, you know, or Eight Mile, where you have this persistent protagonist who goes for his dream or her dream despite the odds. And so those films are always, I think, feel good. Um, now, there's a lot of movies that were just now in theaters that are called Theater at Home on Amazon, where you pay $15, $20, and you can watch a movie that would have been in theaters at home. I did uh, watch The Invisible Man and The Way Back using that option. I know it's 20 bucks is quite a bit, but if I would have gone to the theater, probably would have spent that amount anyways on a ticket and popcorn. Uh, the Way Back, I really enjoyed. That's a basketball movie with Ben Affleck where he plays a coach with a drinking problem, and it's based on a true story. And Ben Affleck actually just got out of rehab before he started filming this movie. So you can tell there's some personal things that he's reflecting upon. It's one of his better performances, and the director is a top-notch director. The guy who directed The Way Back worked with Ben Affleck previously on The Accountant, which is a really fun movie. And he's also done two other great sports movies in Miracle and Warrior. So the guy's got a great resume. So uh, that's one I recommend. The Invisible Man is a thriller starring Elizabeth Moss, which you might know from Mad Men or Handmaid's Tale. And uh, it's a movie where her ex-boyfriend, who was abusive and manipulative, has died. And now she thinks he's come back and turned himself invisible because he's a scientist. It's kind of a remake of the old movie, but with a modern twist. The whole theme of this film is basically gaslighting, where she has been, everyone says she's crazy, but she knows that he's invisible and he's trying to torture her and mess with her and go after her. So uh, it's a really different take on the classic tale. Did you see the classic uh, film? uh, Do you see the original? Long ago. Yeah, I so did I. It. Yeah, I was afraid they would mess it up. What I'm hearing from you is uh, they did a good job with this film. It's a lot better than Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon, okay. put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just uh, mention a few things that I've done, and you can chime in later with some others. I uh, will tell you about the last film I saw in the theater before the theaters closed. The film was called The Assistant. This is the first film that came out, I think, of the Me Too movement. It was written, directed, and produced by a woman named Kitty Green. Julia Garner was uh, is the uh, star of this film. She's, I think, in every scene. And it's She's all, the girl from Ozark. Exactly. If you, if people, and, yeah. If yeah. you're an Ozark fan, you know who she is. And this, and she has a long resume of acting, but that's probably her most, uh, that's one people will recognize the most. Uh, the thing about this film is that it's just the day in the life of this assistant, it's, uh, they don't mention Harvey Weinstein, but obviously there's a movie mogul who is patterned after him, certainly not him, but you never see him in the film. You, he kind of walks by without being seen. He's heard in the other rooms, but you never actually see the face of this movie mogul. And it's about this uh, female graduate of uh, Northwestern University, had great grades there. And it's amazing that there's tremendous competition to get a job for an assistant like this movie mogul which pays very little, and you work long, hard hours. But, you know, she wants to be a producer someday, and that's how you supposedly pay your dues to get that done. She sees things that bother her. She tries to go to HR, and it's just the story of what happened in this day. 
Now, this is a, an art house film, I think. Uh, I, you have to keep that in mind. But the, what, the interesting part of this film is there is no music whatsoever. No opening music, no closing music, no musical score. It's just there. It's the day in the life of this young woman who's trying to be an assistant to this movie mogul. Uh, and, and how she tries to bring to everybody's attention something hap- is happening that doesn't look good and really nobody pays any attention to her. In fact, I kind of look at her like, what do, you, what do you think you're doing? I would recommend this film. I give it a B, but some people, if you don't like that kind of film, may not be for you. Also, when we come to a period like this, I thought, let's let's go back and, and look at and watch again some classic films. So I went back and watched a film from 1935. um, Some people call that a golden era when the talkies really began to come out on their own in the film industry. So I think when you look at the the silent films to the talkies where you could hear people, uh, 1930s is when that happened. A Tale of Two Cities, which is based on Charles Dickens' historical novel written in 1859, and it's set in London and Paris, and the backdrop of this love story is, uh, is the French Revolution. And what this, I think, is about is about this love story, missed out love, um, making an, a, a, the ultimate sacrifice for your friends or people you care about, and just how ugly and nasty a post-revolutionary period can be when any society goes through a, a major revolution, which is what happened in, in uh, France. So it's, it's a film I had seen years ago, and I thought it was important to see it again, and it was just as good now as it, as it was then, considered a classic film. Have you seen that film, Adam? Uh, I don't think I ever have. Well, when it comes around, it's it's worth watching if you have the time. One of those great classics. The second one I watched is not quite as far back as that. A lot of people consider it a classic film now. It's Young Frankenstein. and That's to, one of my favorites. To, uh, that is one of the funny, maybe the funniest movie I've ever seen, if not one of the great ones. Blazing Saddles also was a Mel Brooks film, and was was a terrific film, and I, and you still laugh at it. And every time I watch this film, I pick up something new I didn't pick up the last time I saw it. Well, this was uh, this film was not was written and directed by Mel Brooks, but people forget that Gene Wilder co-wrote that script. And we need to keep in mind that Gene Wilder's career as an actor was not going very well at that time. The reason for that is he'd been in two films, which I personally liked a lot, but didn't do well at the box office. The Producers, which was a Mel Brooks film, and then his uh, role as Willy Wonka and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I actually kind of liked those two films, but they didn't do well at the at the box office. So you know what happens when you're an actor and you have two movies in a row that don't do well at the box office. Well, this young Frankenstein con- uh, completely revived his career as an actor and as a writer. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, this is one of those things where Brooks had the, the great success with Blazing Saddles by by just decimating the old westerns. He did the same thing with the horror films, uh, and it's just fun to watch it again. So uh, if you have some time on your hands, uh, I think Young Frankenstein's a great film to dig up. Any thoughts on one thing I one thing I love about Mel Brooks movies, so he's kind of the king of parody, where he makes fun of a genre of movies. He's got um, the uh, the westerns, the old horror films, silent movies, Robin Hood, Dracula, uh, Star Wars, and some of them are better than others. Like I'm not as big into Spaceballs as other people, and later Mel Brooks, he just didn't have as good a track record as some of his earlier movies. 
But what I liked about Mel Brooks is he would parody the genre of movies. Nowadays, whenever they do spoofs of movies, it's just references. It's just, hey, remember that thing from that, that one movie? Hey, it's like almost like family guy style humor. And it just doesn't work with me as well as uh, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, I think, is the king of the spoof. And uh, High Anxiety was one I thought was underrated by others. Hitchcock, yes. He takes on Alfred Hitchcock, I think, pretty effectively, but didn't do quite as well at the box office. Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, they were were huge hits. And, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Spaceballs. Um, When I was a kid, I loved History of the World Part 1. You know, I like that film more than others, too. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I I, thought the song about the Inquisition was hilarious. (laughs) And for those who don't know... Brooks is Jewish himself, so he makes this 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 film about the Spanish Inquisition that only he could get away with, but it's hilarious. So yeah, it's, if you've never seen that film, History of the World Part One, it's worth watching. It's it's an okay film. It has its good laugh moments, but but the Inquisition and I think uh, what Louis the, the the King Louis was was another uh, part of that that I really enjoyed. Um, anything else? You I've got a couple things uh, left to talk about. Anything on your list right now? Yeah, I know we're going to kind of talk about where the movie industry is going, and I have some thoughts there. So uh, um, what are you, what are you kind of thinking a lot of this is going to do for some of the movie industry? Well, what I tried to do uh, just this morning before we did this was kind of look around and see what uh, the experts are saying. And what the experts are saying is they have no idea because there is no precedent for this. Uh, there's one thing, a couple of things I think that are troubling that we all need to consider. Number one is that the stock market is not treating the theater chains very well. They're not thinking that the times will be good. And one thing that happened before, right before all this occurred with coronavirus, the Goodrich Theater Chain, and we had one of their managers on our podcast a while back. It's a big complex in Noblesville by Hamilton Town Center. That company has filed for bankruptcy. And I was looking at the news story about it, and one of their biggest creditors is Disney. So they're going to have to find a way to work out something with their creditors. I'm guessing that it's going to take a while because I'm sure the bankruptcy court's not even functioning the way it had. So that's that's going to be strung out a lot longer. Plus the theater the theaters are closed anyway. So it's, it's it's sad to see Goodrich, which I think is a pretty good company. I think they do good work. I go to their, their, their theater is not far from where I live. So I, I patronize it quite often. Uh, so I'm worried about that. And I think that if you look at the stock market, is not treating the theater chains well. They think they're in for hard times. So the real question is, will people flock to the to the, to the the big multiplexes once, uh, once the, there's a slow – and I think it's going to be a slow and steady uh, return to something called normalcy. It won't be the same normalcy we had before. Uh, but, I, but I'm thinking that uh, the stock market and that bankruptcy for Goodrich, they're just not good signs. So AMC is on the verge of bankruptcy, too. Now, let's be clear. Bankruptcy does not mean closure. They could file for bankruptcy. And you know this. You're you're Mm -hmm. an accountant. And then that could actually help them keep their theaters open at some point. So AMC represents about, they said, 25% of all movie theaters in the United States. So if they were to close all their theaters, which we're not saying that's going to happen, that would take a huge hit for just movies in general. So we're seeing as a lot of movie theaters or movie companies 
are now moving all their releases. Uh, I think James Bond was one of the first ones because they were relying on such a big uh, global box office. They moved that to November. A Quiet Place, which would have already came out, the sequel to the uh, Quiet Place Part Two, the John Krasinski movie, that was pushed back. And then, then suddenly everything else fell into place. I don't know if the entire summer slate has been moved. I think things in July and August are, are still on the schedule. Uh, but a lot of things are being moved, especially the big tentpole movies, Black Widow, um, Mulan, uh, Wonder Woman. These are all getting pushed. Now, yep. some of these companies are decided to release the movies on streaming instead. Disney already announced that a movie they spent quite a bit of money on called Artemis Fowl, a kid's movie based on a young adventure, young adult um, series of books, is going to go straight to Disney+. Plus. They're not even going to put it in theaters. Now, that might be that movie was going to flop in theaters anyways, uh, so this is a better move for them, especially because they need more content on their streaming service. But they did say that their big movies like Black Widow, which is a Marvel movie, or the Mulan remake, they are going to put those in theaters. It will take longer, but they're not going to go streaming only for that. So at some point, those will come out in theaters. But when they push everything back, that means that everything else is going to have to kind of move too. Well, pl- so what- on, on top of that, uh, Adam, I think another added aspect is that all the production has been shut down. So there, exactly. any any film production that was going on was halted, and, and the projects that were in the pipeline have not started. So they're going to have to push it back. But uh, there, you know, there there could be an issue about just having, you know, new product because of the fact that the production schedules have been moved back. So I think the real question, Adam, in my mind, is will the theaters be able to reopen in some form this summer to begin the summer season? You know, that might help revive some of these uh, theater companies. And, and the, you, what you mentioned about bankruptcy is totally accurate, but the real key there is working it out with your creditors uh, through the bankruptcy court. And uh, with Disney as a major creditor, they've got some clout too. So it's it's going to be hard, but not impossible for these theater chains to try to make a go of it. If they can have a really big splash once they open, fine. But I'm worried that, just like you said in the restaurant business, it may take a while before people begin to gravitate back to to the going to the movie theater. Yeah, we may see more movies go straight to streaming, uh, especially for movies where the financing may not make sense. The streaming sites are really hungry for content, so they're going to try to buy up as much as they can. We may see, so right now we're seeing movies that were going to be released in theater available to rental or purchase for $15, $20. We might see more of that now. There was always a few indie films that did uh, rentals while they were in theater, but we never really saw that from a big release. Just this week, and this isn't a movie that would appeal to me and you, but the sequel to Trolls, the big kids movie, released straight on streaming service. And we don't know what the numbers are yet. I'm sure they keep that in terminal internally but if it does well with the streaming purchases maybe they do that more often well, maybe uh, they find yeah prepare out that parents want to stay home and rent well prepare yourself because once your daughter gets older you'll be going to all these <laughs> and, well, uh, and, and I, I hope there is a theater because there yeah. is the experience of going to a theater i think is something that's oh, special and i'm you and i absolutely uh, totally agree with that but the key is this summer and how we come out of this and how fast how quickly how well and will there be another wave of this? So that's those are all medical yeah. questions to which I do not know the answers. So, um, I well, wanna... and the movies that 
the production were halted, um, let's not kid ourselves. Some of these movies will now never get made. That's because the fear. Once you yeah. stop the yeah, mm-hmm. once you stop production on a movie to try to restart production later on, actor schedules change, the market changes, funding changes. Some of these movies that were announced, were written, that were ready to go, will now never happen. Even but, in, in know, the Larry, mid- I, even in the middle of production, this will happen. Yeah, if this continues and we keep doing podcasts, I do think we have to change the name. Instead of Hamilton County goes to the movies, you might have to be Hamilton County stays home with movies. So can- <laughs> oh, I, I'd hate to think of that thought, but it is. Uh, but one, one thing I learned from my uh, nephew who worked as a production assistant in Hollywood for several years, uh, he told me that it, you know, if you look at a whole production, people think about the actors and they are in demand and they have schedules. But you've got a huge crew of people, and they all have schedules, and they have contracts to work on various films. So starting back up on a film or getting a film going and get, not just getting the actors and the director and all the, the headliners that you know, it's the whole crew on the film, especially if they're going out on, uh, on, on you know, on, they're outside of L.A. and, and, and they're on, on target there. I mean, it's, it's very difficult for them to get that put together again. So those are all things we're going to find out, uh, and it's the timing that will uh, mention this. I've got one more film to talk about unless you have something else. No, I'm good. <laughs> um, I, there's one thing on Netflix that I, and I, you know, I'm a fan of documentaries. So documentaries are not for everyone. But there's a reason I mentioned this one. It's about the, uh, the, the the title of it is Who Killed Malcolm X? Now, I'm, I remember as a teenager watching an NBA basketball game and having the, the uh, ABC News break in with the, the news that Malcolm X had, had been had shot and killed. And I really didn't, growing up in the Midwest, there was very little about him in our local media. I didn't even know who he was. Later, had to kind of do my research and figure out who he was. But the interesting part of this, it's there's a man who's a scholar and he became an activist on this issue. His name is Abdur Rahman Muhammad, and he was never. I th- should I put this? He never thought that the investigation found out what really happened. There were three men that were convicted in that murder, but there was only one of the three that was arrested at the scene. The other two were arrested much later, and the man who was arrested at the scene took the stand at the end of the trial and said under oath that the other two had nothing to do with it, but they all three got convicted anyway. So he he went back, this Rahman Muhammad, he went all the way back and reviewed files people hadn't looked at for decades. In fact, he would go to the archivist and at the police departments, and they would say, nobody's looked at this for, you know, ages, sometimes back to the 1960s. So he did that. He started talking to people who were still alive that had some... Uh, connection with all of the investigation or who might have been involved. Almost everybody told Rockman, hey, you know, this is an old story. Leave it alone. He does, uh, I'm not going to try to tell you what happens in the end. It's a very interesting end to the whole story and his whole quest to figure out who might, who else might have been involved in the, the death of, of Malcolm X. Uh, but there, there, what really struck me about this is that the district attorney's office in Manhattan screened this film and after screening it, they immediately reopened the investigation. So you know this this guy's and and what basically happened is the the uh, filmmakers just 
followed Rahman Muhammad around on what he was doing, trying to capture what he had done. It's a well-done documentary. Uh, it's several, several episodes, about 45 minutes each. I would highly recommend it. Now, when you said you were, you watched a documentary about a crime uh, kind of being solved, I, I swore you were going to mention Tiger King. I, that's what you. <laughs> I have. I, I guess I'm one of the few people I know you that has not that seen Tiger King yet. So you, I assume you have then. I did at first. I didn't want to watch it, but there were so many good memes on Facebook that I needed to watch it so I can get the memes. And it gets weirder and weirder. Did you see that someone asked Trump? Yes, the, pre- the, pre- the, the, the president during a coronavirus news conference was asked about a pardon for the Tiger King. Now, I only have – I think I've talked to a couple of people who have seen it. They kind of gave me a lowdown on the basic story. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. We're in the middle of a, uh, of a health crisis, a medical crisis, and you're asking about a pardon for the Tiger King? I guess it was a New York Post reporter. I, what else need I say? Hey, I mean, that reporter was all over the news. So, well, yeah, he got uh, attention for himself. I'm not sure <laughs> it was the best attention, but he certainly did get that. Well, Adam, uh, let me wish you and your family Godspeed. Please stay safe. Uh, your lovely daughter and your lovely wife, you're spending more time with them, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, so I'm glad that uh, your restaurant continues to, to, to uh, survive and do the best they can during all this. And, uh, you know, Jane and I, we have gotten takeout, even though you're a pretty good drive for us. Uh, we like the food there. And if you want to know more about it, you go to DonatelloSItalian.com. The phone number's there. All the information is there. Uh, it was for me, the, the trip from Fishers to Carmel was, uh, was well worth it. Yeah, and there's nobody on the road, so it probably didn't take as long. It did not take long at all. And that's something people in Carmel and Fishers don't know much about. Uh, but listen, uh, Adam, uh, thanks for joining me. We'll, maybe now, now that I've figured out how to do this, maybe we'll do it again sometime. And uh, still looking forward to when we can start talking about uh, films in the theater. But uh, you take care. Good to talk to you as always. You do the same.